You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, hoping we find you in a good form. And let's all try and think and remember and say a prayer for the families of those two young uh, teenagers who were so tragically killed in that accident on the way to the Debs on uh, Monday night as we speak. The funeral cortege is on its way to Dublin for Dilava Mohammed. Her funeral is taking place um, at half past one today at Clancy Mosque in uh, Dublin and at half past one then the remains of Kia McCann will be leaving her home going to the local church and just such, such sadness in uh, County Monaghan uh, today and actually some of the papers are picking up on the fact that this accident, this the spot where the accident happened is actually an accident black spot now and both the families of the two teenagers of both Dilava and Kia along with the family of a young, another young man who was killed nearly 20 years ago on almost the exact same spot are now backing for calls to the council to erect some kind of barriers and they want barriers on both sides of the road just to try to make this road a little bit safer and the farmer who actually owns the land beside the road he's also calling for a barrier and seemingly has been calling for a barrier for quite some time because he said over the last 30 years he's pulled out more than a dozen cars out of the uh, fields he's also now saying he's going to cut down the tree that the that the car that the girls were travelling in struck on Monday night and it's a section of road on the N54 it's from Clonus to Smithsburg it's actually about four kilometres away from uh, Clonus now the the BMW that the girls and the other young man were travelling in hit the tree but it also demolished a small monument that had been placed on that spot by the family of a young man called Ashley McCluskey he was a 20 year old man and he died when his car hit the same tree and that was back in September of 2004 and then if you look to the opposite side of the road there's a monument to another young man Barry Gavin who was a 22 year old when his motor the motorbike he was riding that hit a broken down truck at the very same spot and that was back in November of 1991 so the farmer who I say who owns the land beside the road said look it's a really dangerous spot he said there needs to be barriers put on both sides of uh, the road because he reckons if they put up barriers it would help prevent vehicles leaving the road crashing into drains boglands or crashing into uh, trees and the area where the accident occurred uh, that took the lives of the two girls on Monday night. It's just after a slight right-hand bend and then there's a small crest in the road. So we think uh, very much of all of the families and the difficult day and days and weeks and months uh, ahead of them. 0818 103 103. Um, slightly better news uh, story. The government is examining a multi-billion euro package of one measures for families and for businesses they're all expected to be announced in the October budget why? Because the state continues to take in record levels of taxes. The latest exchequer figures were announced yesterday and obviously they're looking back at the month of July it shows tax returns to the end of July were 47.8 
billion euro. And then, of course, the big thing is to compare it with the previous year. It's up 4.3 billion or a 10 percent increase on where it was this time of last year. Now, that's obviously driven by strong income tax coming in. There's higher VAT coming in. And, of course, the ever giving gift of cash to the Irish Exchequer, the corporation tax receipts. Senior government sources are saying there's now significant scope to provide one off welfare uh, payments, also energy rebates and financial supports for businesses because a lot of businesses are still really, really struggling. God knows we've spoken about some local businesses that have been forced to close because of the cost of living crisis. So businesses do need a dig out uh, as well. So the papers today are saying some of the options that are going to be explored. I mean, certainly I think it's almost guaranteed at this stage that there will be a number of energy credits. Remember the €200 Euro electricity uh, payments that every single household received last year. In last October's budget, it's looking like certainly they're going to be included again. However, there is talk that more targeted energy payments, they're also under consideration. So rather than giving them to everyone, uh, maybe they'll look at giving them to families on social welfare or pensioners or family with children. They might look at more targeted ones, all yet obviously to be decided. There also speculation that there will be more lump sum payments for those in receipt of fuel allowance, things to be considered, maybe another double child welfare payment or repeat of, remember the extra €100 Euro that every child received in child benefit back in June, they could look at things like that and then one-off supports for businesses and that could be through a reworked version of the temporary business energy support uh, scheme while that was good on paper, it was heavily criticised by some for simply being too cumbersome and not every business was entitled to it. Sources have said that specific options uh, will not be looked at in detail until September. Obviously they're all on their holidays at the moment. Well the doll is in recess. I always get given out to by politicians when I say they're all on holidays because they continue to work. They will take time off and they continue to work but the doll is in recess. But they'll wait until September because Exchequer returns for the third quarter of the year as well as the rate of inflation whatever that's going to be in October that will all play in and will very much determine the level of one-off payments as well as what the overall total package is going to to look like. Now, the government is very conscious of a number of uh, issues. You know, also, they don't want to raise inflation by putting too much money into the economy. And the fact that using the additional finances to fund ongoing measures um, that then, then have to fuel and fund into the future that can cause a big worry because, of course, we don't know how long the corporation taxes are going to continue to flow in. There will come a day where they will start to decline. So reacting to the returns, according to the examiner, one senior minister, they never wanted to be named, but uh, well, one senior minister did say, look, there will be leeway for one-off measures later in the year due to the surplus with the focus very much being on assisting families with the cost of living and helping with energy bills, which will remain elevated this winter, although not expected to be at the same level of last year. But they're still going to be ridiculously high when we compare our energy costs to previous uh, years. This source says, I I would think a mix of universal and targeted measures that that would possibly be the best way to move forward. Now, income tax receipts, when, when you break 
breakdown. The figures to the end of July. Income tax receipts came in at 18.2 billion for the first seven months of the year and that's up, up almost 9% on the same period last year and that's a combination of more people in the workforce and people earning more money. VAT receipts that stood at 13.2 billion to the end of July. That's up on last year. It's up 1.4 billion and corporation tax receipts is also up just under 2 billion on the same period last year. Now obviously a very happy Happy man is the finance minister, Michael McGrath, and he welcomed the exchequer at return. And he said overall tax revenue now stands over four billion ahead of where it was this time last year. But he did put in a bit of a warning. He says there is a considerable portion of this increase driven by potentially unsustainable corporation tax uh, receipts. And they've been saying that for years, <laughs> for a good number of years now. But we know eventually that bubble could burst. We just don't know when it's going to burst. But anyway, Michael McGrath says the government is taking steps to address this exposure. And what they're what they're doing is six billion in windfall receipts will be transferred into the National Reserve Fund, and it will work under underway on proposals for a long-term investment fund. So that's a smart move. Take a chunk of the money, look at investing it, look at a long-term investment and let it make money for the government for the day when maybe the corporation taxes dry up completely. Now, last year's budget, they, it included £4.1 billion. That was in one-off uh, supports to help struggling householders, families and businesses. And while a significant pot will again be allocated in the October budget, and they certainly will have the money to do that, it is unlikely that the package will be of the same magnitude of last as last year. And they're saying that's got a lot to do with inflation has gone down a little bit and they're hoping that electricity and energy costs will be down a little bit. But they certainly have the wriggle room to do as much as they did last year, if that is what they want. So it will be a combination of universal credits. I think that they'll give out, I think, you know, um, if I was a gambling person, I'd put a fiver on the energy credits will be back. Will they be as high as €200? Euro? Only time uh, will tell, but there'll be a lot more uh, targeted measures as well, maybe aimed at old age pensioners, maybe aimed at people on disability, aimed at uh, families. So a little bit of good uh, news, but certainly great news for the Exchequer uh, showing that our t- our overall tax receipts up 10% on this time last year. And can I thank a listener who I think on Tuesday suggested that I watch a documentary that had aired on RTE on Monday night and I hadn't actually seen it and it was a documentary, an 80 minute uh, documentary all about the very dramatic life of Dr Noel Brown who was probably one of the most radical and can I say the best Minister of Health that this country has ever seen looking at this documentary I didn't know a lot about Noel Brown. I didn't know a lot about his life, but I did mention at the time when the listener said that suggested I should, should watch it and I downloaded and watched it yesterday. I do remember my late mother used to always talk about Noel Brown. If he ever appeared on the television, she used to say what he did for this country, how he eradicated uh, TB and what he tried to do for mother and children. But of course, the Catholic Church and one Charles McQuaid very much got involved and uh, stopped uh, Dr. Noel Brown in his tracks. But it is the most 
incredible documentary I've watched in a long, long time. So thank you to the listener who recommended it to me. And now I'm recommending it to anyone who didn't see it on Monday night. If you have access to the RTE player, you can download it. It's called The Seven Ages of Noel Brown. And it's very much in Noel Brown's own words. What happened was it was in uh, just shortly before he died, Dr. Brown gave a, a very, very wide ranging and passionate interview to a producer and a screenwriter by the name of James Black. Now, at the time, the idea was that James Black was hoping to turn the story of um, J- of uh, Dr. Noel Brown into some kind of a play. That was hoping at the time. But then James Black became very unwell. So nothing was ever done with this taped uh, interview. And 25 years on, James Black's widow offered the unedited uh, footage to a film company to see if a documentary could be made and out of that and of course Noel Brown's two daughters Ruth and Susan feature as well. It is a stunning stunning piece of TV and I know people complain about not paying their TV licence. If we're paying our TV licence to get that quality of programme I would pay it any time. It was excellent. Well worth the watch. The Seven Ages of Noel Brown and I came away having watched it at the end of it yesterday uh, yesterday evening and I came away thinking if only we had more TDs like Noel Brown and more ministers like Noel Brown. I don't think I've ever seen a politician speak with such passion and how everything he wanted to do was for the betterment of the people of the country that he was serving, particularly the vulnerable and the very poor. It's an incredible man. He was an incredible man. Uh, we were lucky to have him in this country for sure. 0818103103. Michael Flatley's groundbreaking choreography for Riverdance was very quickly followed up with uh, the hit show Lord of the Dance. And the Lord of the Dance is this year celebrating its 25th anniversary. So they've t- decided to take Lord of the Dance on a 25th anniversary tour. And they're coming to us here in Cork. They are kicking off in the Cork Opera House next Wednesday night, 9th of August, for a five-night run of the 25th anniversary show, which is new staging, new costumes and uh, choreography. We'll have a question for you later on today on the programme, giving you the chance to win a pair of tickets to go along to the Opera House to see Lord of uh, the Dance and of course then tomorrow all of our five daily winners one will have their prize upgraded to a hotel stay dinner along with their pair of uh, tickets so do stay tuned for that your chance to win a pair of tickets to the 25th anniversary tour of Lord of the Dance at the Opera House The new president of the Association of Secondary Teachers of Ireland has said the teacher shortage crisis must be addressed as a matter of urgency saying that it is now at its Worst. The new president of the ASDI is Georgine O'Brien, who is a secondary school teacher from County Clare. And I'm delighted to say Georgine joins me this morning. Good morning to Geraldine. Good morning, Patricia. And congratulations on your appointment as uh, president. Now, I suppose it's fair to say we've had a teacher shortage problem for several years. What's been happening to make it worse? Uh, you're absolutely correct, Patricia. This is not a new phenomenon. We've had a teacher shortage for years. It's been uh, steadily growing worse, uh, incrementally getting worse year by year. And it needs to be addressed, and it needs to be addressed urgently now before it becomes a crisis. Like, uh, the ASDI did a Red Sea poll, and that reported that 75% of school leaders um, said 
that they received no application for an advertised teaching post in the 2022-23 school year. And further to that, 81% said they had to employ at least one unqualified teacher during the year. Now, Patricia, if there's an unqualified teacher in the classroom, and no doubt they're doing their best, but they're not in their subject area. If they're an English teacher and they're teaching science, or vice versa, they're not in the subject speciality. As I said, they're doing their best. But if that continues for a few weeks, a few months, it's inevitable that the school will take that subject off the curriculum. So the uh, curriculum then that's offered to students is very much reduced. Say, for instance, it's a physics teacher, or it's a chemistry teacher, or a home economics teacher, and there's an unqualified teacher in the classroom. Then the, what usually happens is, as I said, the school takes, removes that subject from the curriculum. And that's impacting on students. Yeah, that's and it's, it's, that's, it's not fair on the, on the, the students, um, for sure. But shocking that figure of 75% of schools not even getting one application. It's incredible. It's, it's, it's actually hard to believe. You know, so, like, one might say, well, what is fueling the teacher shortage? Well, it's the housing difficulty. It's the cost of living. It's teachers' workload. It's the fact that schools are starved of essential resources. All of those factors make teaching today an unattractive profession. And this unattractiveness of teaching is fueling the teacher shortage. And for mums, and, you know, without being... uh, (laughs) Um, Sexist. Bias, I yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, ma- males nowadays have as much a part in child rearing activities and child minding as, as moms. Um, the length of the school day is a factor because with the Croke Park hours, there may be uh, a meeting from five to six. Teachers must remain on the school for those meetings. So they have to engage an out of hours babysitter or extend the time period for their normal babysitter. So that's an extra cost. And and, and we all and we know that we have a lot of our young teachers going going abroad to work. And and traditionally that has always happened, even though I think not not on the level that we're seeing at the moment. Can is there anything you can think of that could incentivize some of those young teachers to come back from abroad? Well you're 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 one hundred percent correct when you say about the young teachers going abroad. And what very often happens is they have been on short-term contracts, four, six, eight, ten hours for a number of years. They're fed up of that, and then they pack their bags and they emigrate. And if they're abroad for, say, four or five years, a huge difficulty currently is that on return to Ireland, those years working abroad are not considered on their pay scale. So if they work for three years in Ireland and then they, even they're on a short-term contract, and then they move to, say, Australia or wherever, on return, and spend four years there, on return, they go back to point uh, one on the scale again. And the scale, as it currently is, is already um, a 25-year scale. Well, that doesn't seem fair. And particularly if when they went away, they worked as a teacher. It would be different if they went away and did something else. Exactly. Yeah, so not, yeah. The government needs to address that. That's one thing they could do. Recognise 
the years teaching abroad. And then and do we need to encourage more Leaving Cert students to think of teaching as a career? Well, we, we should uh, try and encourage more um, Leaving Cert students to, 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 go to do teaching as a career. But why are they not choosing it? Why are the students, why are the students who do their Leaving Cert, why are they not choosing it? Very often teaching is, you know, it's in, it's in a family and mother or father is a teacher and children become teachers and they probably hear their parents at home. So maybe that's discouraging them too. Plus they look at their um, peers who go and do IT or do uh, go into private industry and they're much better paid. So those mm. factors are certainly not attracting teachers into the profession. Yeah, I, and I did see the Taoiseach, he was quizzed, um, um, questioned about the fact, you know, that what's going on in, in with teachers. And when he was asked this week, he said, we have more teachers now than at any point in the history of the state. But he said the pupil-teacher ratio has never been lower. Is that part of the reason that we have a shortage of teachers? Well, now, there are two things there. Um, we have more teachers now than ever before. The population of Ireland was what? Approximately 4 million, give or take. We're now 6 million. So that would indicate that there should be a 50% increase instantly, or a 50% over, over, over a length of, of time. So if you compare a number of years ago with today, of course there are extra teachers, right? Mm -hmm. I'd like to also ask Mr. Varadkar, uh, and I'm sorry, a pity I didn't hear that comment before last Sunday because I met him and I would have asked him. What data is he using? Is he looking at the colleges and taking the data from the colleges and looking at the number of graduates for teaching? But today, a lot of the graduates who train as teachers go into other professions, go into other fields. For instance, home economics teachers. They go into industry. They go into research. Likewise with the science teachers. They go into industry. They do research. And maybe the teachers who do the um, humanities and modern foreign languages and the English ones, the teachers who teach English, the people who teach English, they might go into broadcasting. And the um, modern foreign languages, uh, they may... Uh, do translation. Yeah, yeah so, so just because they come out of college it doesn't mean that they're going to go on and work as a teacher. Uh, yes. One listener says, my daughter is working uh, in Australia as a teacher. She'd love to come home, but she knows realistically she'll never be able to afford to buy a home. I think I've lost her to Australia forever. Housing is a well, massive, the, massive the, problem. The, the, uh, and, and they may go to Australia or they may go uh, to Dubai and they have some hope of saving a deposit uh, for a house. Whereas if they're in Ireland with the rents they're paying, they have no hope. You know, so sorry, I, I missed the tail end of your question there. The line just got a little yeah, bit no, Yeah, no, no, I was, just, I was just saying about that about that young uh, student, about the mother saying she, she feels she's lost her to Australia. There's a couple of people, though, on... Um, 
saying uh, this is to do with subbing. Kathleen said, I have a friend who's a teacher and she's been subbing for the last two years but can't get a full-time uh, contract. And then Anne-Marie says, does, does it suit the government to keep qualified teachers subbing? I qualified from Hibernia three years ago and I'm stub- subbing ever since. It suits the government as there's no tax or PRSI uh, to pay. Is there an issue with sub-teachers? Absolutely. Absolutely, Patricia. And in relation to Kathleen there, she's been sobbing for a number of years. Yeah. Kathleen is probably one of those people. She has... Uh, and, and, see, is, the, this difference needs to be explained to the audience. In primary school teaching, if you're sobbing for a day, you get a day's pay. Yeah. In, uh, if you're only, say, three or four days sobbing per week, at second level, you're subject specific, so you may only get paid for a few hours. Oh, that's crazy. You know, you're not subbing for the entire day, right? Yeah, but if you're only needed to do two or three classes, you don't need to, exactly. and that's all you get paid for. All right, yes. okay, and then another caller wants to know, are too many teachers being offered career breaks? What is Geraldine's view on career breaks? Should they at least be suspended until we have more teachers available? What's your issue on career breaks, your opinion? Well, um, I don't, <laughs> this is a hot potato in the sense of like, uh, our Minister of Education herself is on a career break. That is true. <laughs> um, now, if I, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, if they remove career breaks, right, I think that teachers will decide, they will vote with their feet and they will say, well, you subsidise us to go to college and we're off. And they'll wave goodbye. Because really, it's, it's a, it should be a right, it should be a choice, rather than an imposition that you must stay and remove the career break. I think they will go they will go younger if they feel that they won't be allowed to have a career break. Okay. Well, I just... do partially address that anyway, Patricia, in the sense that, you know, in a small school, they may not allow more than two teachers on career yeah, break. Yeah, it's, it's an individual school's choice, yeah, of course. And then on a pro rata basis, they'd allow more for the larger school. Okay. All right, listen, we'll talk again, uh, Geraldine. In the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you kindly, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is uh, Geraldine O'Brien, who is the new president of the Association of Secretary School Teachers of Ireland. We are forever hearing about the problem of feral cats and constantly reminding listeners how important it is to have your cats neutered, especially the tomcats. But with the rising cost of living, it may not always be possible for families to be able to afford the procedure. So it's great to hear once again the animal charity Rower are offering a much reduced neutering service in West Cork and Jennifer Carroll of Rower joins me. Good morning to Jennifer. Good morning, my dear. How and, are you? Oh, I'm, I'm very well and it's great to, uh, to hear from you. When, 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 when did you start to offer this reduced cost neutering service and, and have many people availed of it over the years? Oh, I think that we've had the scheme kind of going for about 10 years and generally speaking, the week that it's running, we've neutered 100 cats easily. Good. And do, do you accept that cost can be an issue for some? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's why we offer the scheme. I mean, you know, once or twice a year, depending on our funding, we do the, the you know, the low cost one. And then throughout the year, with the participating vets, we run, uh, you know, a subsidised neutering voucher scheme for the cats as well. And you're doing it for just €10? Euro. Yeah. 
and and when just just explain how it works. Uh, basically, um, I, it's running in two different vets offices at the moment. Now, I think the Skibbereen office is full. Um, the Bantry office still has spaces. So basically, there's no limit on the numbers, but there is a cap on the amount of cats that will be done in the week. Uh, so to ring and book spaces, it's 10 euros per cat. If people want to give more towards it, they are more than Please welcome. Please do. <laughs> um, and the only stipulation basically is the cats are ear tips, which means that the tip of the left ear is removed while they're under anesthetic and it marks them as visually identifiable as neutral in the future. Okay, and, uh, that, and that is that is important. And it doesn't in any way hurt the cat or affect no. the cat in any way? No, it doesn't affect them at all. You know, the cat's not going to look in the mirror in the following morning and look at them <laughs> down, but what happened to my head? <laughs> you know, it just means that in the future, if they do wander off or turn up anywhere else and they have to be brought into a vet's office to be neutered, the vet knows straight away by looking at them that they're neutered and they don't need to do a second unnecessary surgery. Because that has happened before. I had a friend of mine who took in a stray cat, brought it along to be neutered, and when they went to neuter, they discovered it had already been neutered so so it, it, it does happen now is yeah. your scheme just for family pets or will can you take feral cats you can take feral cats in there's kind of basically no restriction on it he's a first come first serve basis okay um, so yeah any cat qualifies for it do we have any way Jennifer of knowing how many feral cats we have in this country um, we well there is a formula that was developed by um, I think it was a, a doctor in Florida for it because there's no staff for Ireland or the UK um, but I think it's you basically divide the amount of households by 0.5 and that gives you the amount of feral cats in the country oh, that's a lot of cats it is I mean it's a never ending process like they're they're approximately you know um over 100,000, over 400,000 kittens born every year in Ireland. And I mean, there's no way you're going to find homes for all those. That's why the trap, neuter, release project. Yeah, the idea with the trap, neuter, return and the neutering vouchers is to try and get to the source of the problem, to try and reduce the numbers because the spaces just aren't there. Especially this time of year now because we're in the middle of kitten season. So everyone has kittens and everyone is looking for homes for them and for spaces for them. And there's going to be a limit of the amount of homes there are and the amount of rescue spaces there are. That's why we're back to the original issue. Get your cats neutered so you don't yeah. end up with all of these. Yeah, and it's not just it's not just your own cat as well. You know, I know a lot of people out the goodness of their heart are feeding a stray cat out there, but you know, if you are, please get it neutered because if it's a female cat, it's going to have kittens. If it's a male cat, it's going to go wandering and more than likely it's going to bring other cats home. Um, and you, you know, you start off with good intentions with one cat and then you end up with, you know, 30 of them. Yeah, there's no problem with feeding a feral cat, but it's to it's to get that cat neutered is the yeah. important thing. But I know on, on our vet slot, um, we regularly will get calls in from people saying, Oh look, I'm feeding a feral cat, um and, and I'd like to bring it to the vet. How how do I how do I catch it? Well the uh, they can be trapped. Some of the vets will have a trap you can borrow. If not, you can contact one of the, the trap neuter return groups and they will either lend you a trap or they can organise to come out and trap the cat. Uh, you can contact us. The best place to contact us is through our Facebook page um, or through email info at raw.ie. And one female cat can end up having, bringing a lot of cats into the area. Well, at, they can at a push have two, three litters a year. And if you have, you know, four or five kittens in a litter, by the time those kittens are four months old, potentially they're coming in season again as well. So by the time she's having her last litter in the year, it's entirely possible her first litter are also having Oh, kittens. my God. And it just goes on and on yeah, and, uh, and on. OK, talk to me a little bit about the work of Rower. It's the Rural Animal Welfare Resources. How are you doing and how busy are you? It's, it's 
this time of year, especially with the kittens, it's absolutely up the walls. We have calls coming from all over the place for, you know, trap neuter return. Uh, we're working with some of our other friends and rescue, like West Cork Animal Welfare Group. Um, you know, the charity shop is busy all the time. Funding is always an issue. Um, and, you know, we depend on funding because we're completely volunteer run. Do you do fundraising events? We do fundraising events a couple of times a year when we have the, you know, I suppose the time and the manpower. Um, and if anybody ever wanted to organise a fundraiser for us, we'd be delighted. Yeah, it'd be great. Uh, you know, if you know, schools or scout groups or anything wanted to organise one, that would be fantastic. And is it predominantly cats you work with? It's primarily cats we do because I suppose that's the big problem with the overpopulation. We do run a dog voucher scheme as well and that kind of runs throughout the year alongside the cat voucher scheme. Okay, but this, this, the, the, your next neutering scheme, uh, tackling it for a tenor, is the 25th to the 29th of September? Yes. Okay, and then go to, you're saying go to your Facebook page to book a slot? Yes. Well, if you want to book a slot, the best thing to do would be to contact the, the vet that's running it, which is uh, the, the, the vet mechanic in Bantry in there, 27 Okay, and you can book a time slot then, 27 and open to both the, 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 the males and the females. Yeah, exactly. And it is as important to get the males done as the females because people kind of go, well, a male cat won't have kittens. So I was like, no, he won't. But what he'll do is he'll go off looking and it's entirely feasible. If he finds a female, she'll follow him home. So unneutered cats will bring more unneutered cats. Okay. All right. Listen, Jennifer, we wish you luck with it and continue good luck with the work of Roar. And as you say, if anybody would like to do a bit of fundraising, it would be much, much appreciated. Thanks for that. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is uh, uh, Jennifer Carroll of uh, Roar. They're a fantastic group in uh, West Cork. If you have a cat that needs neutering, please, please consider it as only for a tenner. If you want to give a little bit more, you can because it, it is completely charity. It's it, they completely have to fundraise for everything that they do at Roar. 027 53639. As I say, spaces are limited because they do it every year and those spaces fill up very, very quickly because I am conscious that I think. You know, the majority of cat owners are responsible. They want to look after uh, their cats. They want to do the best for their cats. But obviously we have a cost of living crisis, uh, which we talk about very often here on the programme. And if you're tossing up with trying to, you know, pay bills and put food on the table, you know, the priority of getting your cat neutered probably goes way, way down the list. So there's an opportunity for those, particularly families in need. You can get it done for just a tenner. I think it's fantastic. They do amazing work at RAR. 0818103103. I can see some calls and texts coming in following on from my chat with the secondary school, the ASDI, and Geraldine, their new president, who was saying this chronic teacher shortage, something has to be done and she was outlining that it is at its worst that it ever has been and the government need to act and act quickly. Mike in Skibbereen says my son was three or four years working on nine month contracts in various schools could not get a full time job with a full time contract. He's now gone to Sydney and he's loving his life. And that I have to say that does seem to be an issue. And certainly this morning some of the calls in from the people now I don't know Mike if your son is in primary school or in uh, secondary school but this notion of giving the nine month contracts which means while the school is open they get work and they get paid but then of course if you're on one of those contracts you don't get paid for the summer holidays as far as I know you don't get sick leave. You possibly don't get paid for the Christmas or the Easter break 
colleagues either, which is very unfair to ask somebody to just get paid for the work and then they're not going to get paid for any of the holidays. You can understand, and I certainly can understand, Mike, why your son decided to get on a plane and go to a country where it's got much better weather as well and much better living conditions than we have here. But it's just sad to see us losing our youngest and our brightest and our most educated and seeing them, the other countries then are benefiting. And I know in Australia, certainly Irish workers, be they teachers, nurses, doctors, even members of Garda Siakona, there's been a big campaign to go work for the police force um, in Australia as well. And they're welcomed with open arms and they seem to have a much better work-life balance than what we have here. But something has to be done because we are, I mean, the stats, I think, that Geraldine were, were, were just dumbfounding. I mean, the 75% who put an ad in the paper are an ad up online looking for a teacher and didn't even get one response. Do you remember the time when there would have been 10, 15 responses for every teacher post advertised and teachers would be, the mammies would be doing the novenas for the son or daughter going for the job, hoping that they would get it and it just it just doesn't seem to be happening. But yet we're hearing stories of people subbing so I don't, you know, it's, it's not making a lot of uh, sense how you can have both of those uh, go, both of those issues going on. Schools saying we can't get uh, teachers and then teachers saying well, nobody's nobody's offering us a full-time contract, certainly not making uh, sense. Um, hi, Patricia. I imagine a lot of children don't go into teaching because maybe they had a bad experience with their teachers. For example, somebody who maybe turned a blind eye to bullying and then accused the student of telling lies. Teachers who refuse to engage and say they have their exact... Refuse to engage with CPD... I don't know what that is and say they have to, I'm, I'm not sure what you're saying there but some people yeah may have had a bad experience but I think generally speaking certainly today teachers and teachers attitude has changed completely most people will say that they've great relationships uh, with their teachers than say many years ago when we've had corporal punishment for example in our school actually when I mentioned uh, Noel Brown and that brilliant documentary that was one of the things that he managed uh, to get through the doll as well was the end of corporal punishment the amount I'm saying what that documentary the amount of great work that he did for corporal punishment was one of the issues he addressed uh, as well and Paul in Mallow says this is back to teachers I don't know much about the teaching situation but from listening to your programme over the years and the messages that you have read out I thought it was obvious that most people don't want more teachers it sounds like teachers are overpaid and on a burden on the taxpayer already well I, I don't know if we don't want uh, more teachers. We need to have teachers in our school. I mean, I hate to think that a school has to drop a particular subject because then obviously the pupils get affected if they go into a school and they might already have a career path in mind that they want to do. And lo and behold, they get into the secondary school of their choice only to discover that a particular subject that they wanted to do is no is no longer being taught in that school because they can't get a qualified teacher. And having 81% of teaching posts uh, filled when there's a vacancy they're filled by somebody who isn't qualified uh, that certainly doesn't bode well for the students who are trying so desperately hard to do well in their exams so we, we do have a problem for sure Paul this came in on WhatsApp uh, I mentioned for the Court McSherry Harbour Festival it's underway there is a drive-in bingo tonight in Barry Row GAA grounds at half past seven with doors open at seven that's drive-in bingo as part of the Court McSherry Harbour Festival I actually talked to the Court McSherry Harbour Festival 
I saw it, I think it was on Facebook uh, yesterday an event I don't know what day I'm assuming it was held uh, over the weekend the tennis court in uh, Court McSherry they turned if you can imagine you know those games of uh, table football that you play where you've got the little plastic men and you've got the bars on the side and you're on you're on one side and your opponent's on the other side and you're flicking the ball around trying to score a goal well they did a human version of that with ropes across the tennis court it was the funniest thing I've seen in a long time and I would love to have been down there to watch it live. It really looked like a hoot. Never seen it done before but it was fantastic. They always put on a great festival in Court Max so good luck to everybody involved there and if you want to play drive-in bingo Barry Road GA grounds tonight at half past uh, seven. Now Mike has been on to say Patricia just an important thing for you to, to bear in mind, please. This is at the top of the programme when I was speaking about the funerals are today of the two gorgeous teenagers on their way to their uh, Debs. It's just, uh, I can't get their families out of my head and what they must be going through. Anyway, Mike uh, says, was so sad, that story of those two girls, RIP. One point for you, and indeed everybody in the media, Mike feels it's very insensitive to use the word remains when talking about funeral arrangements. He said RTE does it all the time. It should be replaced with the body and show some compassion to the bereaved. I'm going to have to think about that because I I certainly have and do use the phrase the remains of blah, blah, blah. Replace it with the body of Delava, the body of... Uh, Kira, yeah, I, I'd have to think about that. It's it's something I hadn't thought about. Does do, do do other people find that very insensitive when it's reported as the remains are being transferred to the hospital or the remains are going to the church, whatever it is, for burial. It, it, your thoughts welcomed on that. Mike thinks it's insensitive. And Mike also says when I was talking about the exchequer returns and the amount of money, the government awash with money. Latest exchequer figures, this is to the end of July, 47.8 billion. And it's up 10%. It's up 4.3 billion on the figures from this time last year. Mike says the government should use the exchequer surplus to reduce people's taxes instead of energy handouts because by their own incompetence we're all paying higher energy because they closed down our power stations. They need to make the regulator force energy and fuel prices down. Costs in this country are like a runaway train says Mike and that's always been one of the arguments while people very willingly accepted the 200 euro electricity credit but a lot of people at the time were saying all we're doing is making the utility companies richer and we're not doing anything to force the utility companies to reduce their prices and they still haven't reduced their prices we've all seen very high summer spring and summer bills come in without the 200 uh, euro and electricity and gas prices are still crazily uh, high and then someone else was listening to me talking about the, what maybe the the likely things that will be in the budget, particularly with the exchequer, a wash of money. This listener said, Patricia, is there anything about the 30% income tax relief? Are we going to be fleeced with petrol and diesel prices? What about rural Ireland? No, the 30% income uh, tax, that's the the wish and the dream of Leo Varadkar. I, I think that's off the table. I know Every time he gets asked about it, he, you know, he says everything is still on the table and he, he's suggesting this 30% income tax relief and it's aimed particularly at the squeeze middle, the people who never seem to get a break. Now, listen, only time will tell. They've still, there's still a lot of work to be done before we get to hear exactly what's in the budget in October. But certainly I haven't heard any mention of it for quite some time and it is a passion piece for Leo Varadkar. It's not necessarily what the Fianna Fáil or indeed other uh, Fianna Gael 
male members of the government or what the Green Party wants. So we'll have to wait and uh, see. On the us losing so many teachers and nurses and doctors and so many of our young people going abroad for a better life and some people are pointing out it's to do with the cost of living in this country it's to do with housing in this uh, country Uh, Texter says Patricia I've said it before so I'll say it again the government are going to have to come up with a plan to keep nurses doctors and teachers here in this country after they qualify they will have to sign some kind of a contract to say that they will stay for a minimum of five years Uh, And then when they are finished, they can then go off and go to any country that they like. Uh, But what annoys me is that when they're studying here in this country, they don't seem to have any problem with accommodation while they're training. But the minute the training is finished, then they all start citing, oh, we can't get accommodation. What is wrong with staying in their parents' house? I have no problem with them running off to Dubai, Australia or Canada once they have given five years back and then they pay in their taxes and then the taxpayer benefits from it and they pay back towards the cost of their education that they would have received in this uh, country. That is something that has been spoken about. And I saw something lately that the government did look at that proposal of a way of keeping some of some of our professions, particularly the medical profession and our teachers. It does happen in other countries that if a young person goes on into university and trains to be a doctor or um, usually in the multi-D field, like a physiotherapist, speech and language therapist, occupational therapist, that on leaving college, because of course their education was funded by the state, they then have to work in usually in one of the state public hospitals or, or wherever it is or, or if it's a teacher they work in, in schools and they get paid it's not that they don't get paid but it's a kind of a payback because obviously they'll be paying taxes as well but it's a kind of a payback to the state for the cost of their education yeah, it does work in other countries we've never enforced it we've never had it in this country I've, I've heard it being mentioned it certainly has been discussed but nothing is ever there's never anything hard or fast to come out um, about it will, will they look at it will they start to look at that suggestion again maybe they will because certainly you're not the first and as you say you've 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 sent it into this programme before as well countless times we hear it from uh, listeners and then on the wonderful Noel Brown who I spoke about when I watched yesterday that documentary that's still available on the RT player The Seven Ages of Noel Brown a couple of people on about Noel Brown Anthony said Noel Brown was a great man. He was first and foremost a doctor and then he became a minister. He had a really, really tough life and what a great health minister he was. But people that weren't voted in by the public at that time, it was the Catholic Church ruled this country in collusion with the government and they were the ones that got the man pushed out and bad-mouthed him. He had just, just because... And then he had to go back and start all over again from scratch with another uh, career. And that's the one thing the documentary showed was the collusion with the Catholic Church and the bishops and Charles McQuaid at the time. Yeah, it was very, very much collusion. And it very much showed to me how the government, I know Eamon, Eamon de Valera features, but it was the Catholic Church. Absolutely. Charles McQuaid was definitely they were running the country and whatever they said uh, went and unfortunately Noel Brown suffered because of it. And then Michael in Castletown-Bera is of that generation where he clearly remembers Dr Noel Brown and my God this country will never see a health minister like him again. That was the point Michael that I have to say at the close of the programme I said God 
will we ever see a minister like that again and could we do with more TDs and ministers like him? Anyway, Michael says, I remember the ridiculing that that man got from the people over the cleaning out of the hospital sweepstakes, taking the money and putting it into medicine for people of this country to save lives. They were dying like flies at the time. He did rid the country of the deadly scourge that was TB. He built hospitals. He brought the death rates down rapidly. He was just outstanding in his field. He worked tirelessly. He wanted to create a health service that was similar to what at the time was the NHS in England, which he would have done, but he was years ahead of his colleagues who just couldn't comprehend his vision. The sad thing about it is this country should hang its head in shame over the way they demonised that man and the religious putting it out that he was a communist. That documentary was just mind-blowing. You could watch it over and over again and simply cry. How was he able to hold his composure and rear his family at the same time? Micah reckons there should be a statue erected in O'Connell Street in honour of Ireland's greatest health minister, one Dr Noel Brown. Patricia, believe me, we would have a very different health service today had Noel Brown been allowed to proceed on the path he was on. Not what Michael says is a ramshackle setup that we have at the moment. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you, what you said. It is, as I say, I was not aware of a lot of what Noel Brown did, but it was, it was, I mean, I think more times I looked at the TV screen and kind of went, OMG, you know, oh my God, how did that happen? How did they allow that to happen? But it's when you look at, he is, he was the product of his own life experiences, but he didn't let his own life experience turn him bitter. He didn't let his own life experience form any anger in his heart. He instead, what he had witnessed, the poverty he had witnessed as a child when he realised what his parents had gone through when he saw so many of his family die from TB. He managed to get good numbers. He said uh, serendipity, some lucky breaks. And then what he did was all the sadness that was in his life, he turned it into positivity to start to do good for others and he very much wanted to do good for the poorest and the most vulnerable and the most sick in this country and that's what he was that's what he did but that's what he was aiming to do he was he was trying to go even further but yeah was he ahead of his time absolutely for, for sure and if the Catholic Church hadn't intervened he may have achieved a lot more of his goals but he was yeah an absolutely Fantastic man. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Healthcare assistants are wanted to work at Nazareth House in Mallow. Now it's for day and night shifts. Full time and part time positions are available. And applicants must have FeedTech QQI level 5 in care of the older person. CVs, please, to hr.mallow at nazarethcare.com while Araglin Nursing Home in Bohabui they've got a vacancy for a head chef CVs to chris at araglinhouse.ie a school bus driver is required for the Kinsale Bannon Spittle area D licence required 087 4799466 and Oliver Casey Plantar they've got a vacancy for a rigid truck driver based in Mallow it's for delivering plant and machinery. Now, you need to have a full clean sea licence. CVs to olivercaseyhire at gmail.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now 
Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now, Bernardo's back to school survey for this year has found half of primary school parents and two thirds at second level are worried about the cost of sending their children to school this autumn with the charity now calling for the free book scheme to be extended to secondary school students. Suzanne Connolly is the CEO of Bernardo's and Suzanne joins me. Good morning to you, Suzanne. Good morning. And you're, you're very welcome. And can I firstly, for fear that I forget, just acknowledge yesterday on our news, obviously we were talking about your, your survey and we were talking about it on the programme and a listener very kindly dropped in a donation for Bernardo's of €50 Euro and also included €5 Euro for us to cover the cost of postage. Now we didn't post it, we got onto your fundraising department and we have lodged it, the whole €55 Euro into the bank. So I just want to acknowledge oh. that listener because there was no name on it. She just heard the great work that you're doing and wanted you to continue your work. So just so that got lodged. Oh, thank okay. you very much. Yeah, so thank you for that listener. Now, firstly, on a positive note, we have free books for primary school children for the first time. Is that making a big difference, uh, Suzanne, uh, to the cost for families? It absolutely is. And parents in our survey, and there's over 1,100 parents who participated, are very appreciative of that and said it has made a difference. And, and as you said as well now, what parents are really hoping for is the government will deliver in relation to free books at secondary school level alongside, and this is something parents are really exercised about, um, low-cost school uniforms because they really are saying they don't understand why some schools are still asking for crested branded uniforms when low-cost options will be available in a lot of stores and you could just you know, sew on a crest or or anything else a school might require. That that really frustrates and annoys me, Suzanne, because we've been talking about that for years and countless ministers for education have come out and said there is no need for these crested uh, uniforms. So it's an individual school's choice, is it? It exactly is. And, and I had a parent actually who actually wrote to me yesterday and was saying the efforts that she'd made in her school to try and do something about this. And she didn't want to name the school, obviously. Um, but she said she got nowhere. So I actually don't understand why schools don't implement what is a really important cost-saving measure for parents. Could we know from our survey, like it can cost over €100 Euros for a uniform for a child at primary level and over €200, with, you know, when you're t- taking about, you know, you know shoes and, and various things at, at, pri- at secondary. And then on top of that, sometimes there's track suits that need to be branded for, in, for some schools as well. So it's just too much for parents, particularly with the cost of living issues. Do you know? And what are you hearing from parents, uh, Susan? Are they going into debt to cover the costs? Yes, yes. Unfortunately, twenty-four percent of parents um, of children in, in secondary school are saying they had to borrow from family or friends, or go on with their credit card, or take loans out. And that was the ten percent of primary. And that's just that's crazy. It's too much of a stress. And like twenty, they said a third of parents at primary school level and two thirds of secondary were saying that they really had felt the difference with the cost of living as well. So, so we would really be asking schools and and boards of management to to really implement a cost of a low cost school uniform option. And we will be actually asking the minister to mandate it because yeah. it, it seems asking and requesting isn't enough or isn't working. Yeah, and you, you, you took a look at kind of an average first year 
it was a fourth class, which obviously is less because they don't have the books this, this yeah. year. But then you looked at a first year pupil and a fifth year uh, pupil. We did. And it's, the average is for first year is 972 euros. And if you have more than one child, can That's you imagine? Yeah, how can you possibly meet that sort of cost? And then fifth year, it's still a fifth year, 863. And that's not even looking at the, co- the extra cost the transition year can bring for families. So so that's why we're really also calling on the government as well to, to, to look at ending voluntary contributions by ensuring that there is appropriate capitation for schools. Because the, the one of the things that had gone up by €20 Euros on average across primary and secondary was the voluntary contribution which isn't really voluntary. Or yeah. parents don't feel it's voluntary, let's put it that way. Particularly in about 70% of the schools, they really don't feel it's voluntary. We've already started to hear from parents who feel that their school is putting pressure to have the voluntary contribution paid. And, you know, I constantly say when, when we talk about it on air, you know, engage with the school, explain to them that you're struggling. But a lot of families don't want to do that. Understandably, you know, because it's hard enough to be struggling and then have to go down to your school and say we can't afford it. I mean, I think some schools don't put pressure on, and I want to acknowledge that. But so, but what parents are telling us is, is, is that other schools will say, well, your child's not going to get a journal, or your child's not going to get access to a locker. And that means that parents are thinking, gosh, I don't want my child to be singled out in that way. So it's really, it's really not fair or appropriate. And we would, and I know the, the, the department would say that they have said to schools, don't put pressure on. Mm. But schools are, and some schools are. And and I would call out to to schools to to I'm sure some teachers would, would be feeling the cost of living pressures. I mean, they must understand the pressures families are are under at the moment. So really, if you're in a position where you are having to ask for voluntary contributions, just do it once and don't put any day-to-day necessities for children as part of that, a, a, a part of your ask. Like, so don't have a situation where children are having to, to do without because their parents can't afford the voluntary contribution. And then let the families that can't afford to pay, pay. And, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but can you see it from the school's point of view? They constantly say, we can't open, the, we can't keep the front door open and the lights on and the heating on without these voluntary contributions. Yeah, and, we, and actually, that is really a disgrace because because we, we we now we have a very good surplus in in the government's yeah, finance, and the yeah. schools shouldn't be put under under that sort of stress. I mean, you shouldn't have a principal or indeed teachers wor- worrying about costs. They should be concentrating on ensuring the children have a fantastic time at school. They thrive and they develop and they achieve. They shouldn't have to be worrying about bills. So, my I do really fear for schools put in that in in that position. And I would hope that they're putting pressure. I'm sure they are, you know, on on you know through their through their various mechanisms to to to, to really say to the government, give us the money that we need. Because yeah, don't go back to the parents looking for it. Exactly, so, exactly. Yeah. Susan, some schools use tablets in instead of an iPads in, instead of books. Does that make a difference? Does it make it any cheaper for families? Unfortunately, not. I mean, because because tablets, as we know, are are, are very are very expensive, and I think in some situations, schools are using iPads, which are even more expensive. And one of the things that parents have told us is that, say, at a secondary school level, there's both the books and then there's the digital subscriptions for the books. So, so they feel that that, that it never stops in terms of of demands. So, what we would be Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. 
You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Be, be saying to schools, it, it's really bear in mind that the parents just can't keep meeting this, these type of pressures. And I know from, from another situation, like in Finland, sometimes what they have available is, is they, they, have, they actually have computers available for children to borrow. So parents mm. who can't afford it are able to access that, that which I think is a fantastic resource for parents and yeah, children. There certainly are, are other ways um, to do it. And then families with one income or lone parents, they've got to be the ones with the biggest worries as, as we head into September. Yes, that's exactly the case. Um, it, it's obviously harder for, for lone parents who, who, who just struggle generally across a range of, of, of factors in society in order to make ends meet. And school, school costs are, are, are no different. Now, the good thing is that the government did in the, in, in, for, in the 2023 budget is it actually increased the back-to-school allowance mm. and by €100. Euros. And one of the things we're asking is that they, they would continue that in, the, in Budget 24. So, I mean, so, and families really benefit from that. But I said about one-fifth of the parents who, who contribute to our survey are in receipt of back-to-school allowance. Now, they say it doesn't meet all the costs but obviously it doesn't because it's 260 for primary and 385 for secondary but it does it does help but then there was parents who contributed to our survey two thirds of whom were, were working parents but you know um, either full time or part time and they were saying they're still really struggling Yeah we, we often hear about the so called squeezed middle who feel that they don't get a dig out anywhere and if they've got as you, as you said more than one child there's a lot exactly, of expenses Exactly So we're nowhere near a genuinely free school system then, are we, in this country? Well, I would like to say, to be on the positive, that, that the government has made progress in okay. terms of the, the primary school book. So we really welcomed that. And the also potential good news is that just this week, the government published their their programme in relation to the new child poverty and wellbeing unit. Yeah. And under that, they are committing to to really impacting on income support for families. And also they specifically mentioned reducing the cost of education at a secondary school level in terms of school books, uniforms and other equipment. So I am being hopeful and my expectation is indeed the expectation of parents out there is the government will deliver on that. And with the government being awash with money, and I started the programme by mentioning the latest exchequer uh, figures uh, showing, you know, 10% up on last year, 47.8 billion. Is this an opportunity to make a difference for children? It, it absolutely is. It absolutely is, a, is an opportunity to make a difference. And the teacher himself has said that he wants to look at ending child poverty and he's he's recognised, you know, the the importance of investing in children for, for a range of things, for our, for our future in this country. So, so I really am hoping that he will stand by 
what he's saying in terms of actually delivering things for children and families in this budget 2024. And a big part of that will be reducing school costs for for, for children and for parents and ideally really delivering on the things that Bernard has asked for which is you know free school books at secondary level um, ending voluntary contributions and also in, in having um, and mandating a low school a uniform option across primary and secondary schools. And because of the work you do with Bernardo's, um, Suzanne, you know only too well that that route out of that poverty trap and that circle of poverty where you see generations growing up in poverty and then continuing to live in poverty. Education is the route out of that, isn't it? It's completely the route out of that. It's, it's, I mean, and that's been proven by numerous research as well, you know, and it, because if children do well at school and if they thrive and, and they, they get the skills they need, they can then go into employment in, in a way that they can benefit both themselves and society as a, as a whole and feel good about themselves and contribute. So it's, there's no doubt that education is, is the way for, for, for people to do well in, in life. It's really crucial. And some children need more support than others. But ultimately, what no child or parent should be worrying about is the finance in relation to getting a good education. It should be something that we as a wealthy country deliver on. And with the continuing cost of living crisis, are you as busy as ever in Bernardo's, Suzanne? We are very busy and we have waiting lists and and it, and it can be, it can be hard when you can't meet all the needs. Um, but I'm glad to say with, we have a fantastic group of staff. We, we, it's a real pleasure every day to get up and do our work and to really make a difference to the lives of children and, and parents. And we really appreciate all the public support that we get. OK, listen, continue. Good luck to everybody at Bernardo's. You do amazing work. And thank you for taking time to talk to us today. Thank you very much. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is Suzanne Connolly, who is CEO of uh, Bernardo's and they bring that that annual cost of of going back to school. It comes out uh, every year and it is truly shocking. And whenever, you know, when the report comes out and, and you know, I read it every year and you see how much, and I always think of, oh my God, if you had more than, you know, if you had two or three children trying to put them through school, the expense is just unreal. And I can fully understand, therefore, when the school close end of May start of June and we'll get calls in from paying ah the school gates are barely closed and the back to school stuff is already in the supermarkets and is already in the department stores I actually can understand why because for a lot of parents facing those kind of uh, bills they can't just rock up on a couple of days before the term starts in September and be forking out €863 for a fifth year pupil and €972 for a first year uh, pupil. They have to do their best to spread it out across as many months as they can. So I certainly can understand it. So uh, once again, thanks to uh, Bernardo's and their annual survey. C103. And time for this week's Garda File. And we are uh, heading to McCroom Garda Station where I'm joined by Sergeant Emer O'Connell. Good morning to you, Emer. Good morning, Patricia. And you're very welcome. Now, we want to start with some scams, unfortunately, still doing the rounds. The first of which is a change scam in shops. Tell us about that. Um, yes, Patricia. Um, people are calling into shops and asking for like, different d- denominations of cash to be changed. Um, say, like they're wanting 50 euro notes or 20 euro notes. Then they're trying to confuse the cashier by asking to change again and to get different denominations. And they're getting away with maybe 20 euro or 40 euro or sometimes bigger denominations. Um, so we just ask people maybe to be extra aware, maybe put up signs in their shop that exchanging money for different amounts of money is not acceptable. 
Yeah, and these are confusion scams and they're good at what they do because I've seen some of them play back on CCTV and, you know, they can confuse you very quickly. Absolutely, and sometimes they they work in numbers so there could be someone else around the shop and you might be watching them around the shop yeah. where the person then has asked you to change the money. So I suppose just ask for people to be aware and vigilant and maybe if this happens, take the number of the car and maybe have good CCTV and make sure it is recording and pass it on to the local guard station. And we're in summertime and there's a lot of you know teenagers who have part-time jobs. They'll, these scam artists will target younger staff as well, knowing that they won't be as experienced. That's it, I suppose. And just make your staff aware that this is happening, um, I suppose. And just if everyone is aware that it is happening, um, they can report it back to the guard station, which is really great help to us. Okay, online uh, scams and telephone scams and text message scams. I don't think they're ever going to go away, Emer. Yes, this is still happening, and especially with banks as well. Um, people getting messages from different banks that there's been a, a transaction on their account, which is fraudulent. Um, people are pressing on the link and then being scammed out of, again, different amounts of money. So we'd ask those people to be aware, report anything suspicious, first of all, to your bank so they could stop the transaction and then report it to the Garda station. Again, don't give any personal information out on the phone. And if someone rings, just hang up. Don't engage with them because sometimes it could be a pre-recorded mailbox and you could be charged then even for the call as mm. well, which is another scam. Yeah, and I know yesterday I, was, I read a report, it's 300 million euro they reckon is scammed out of businesses and people uh, every year in this country. It's, it's hard to believe that people are still getting sucked in. But again, these criminals are getting so good and they're so professional at what they do. That's that it. And there, there's so many of them out there, I suppose, working um, with each other. And they're just keeping themselves updated of all the new, the new technology available to them. OK, and one that parents in particular need to be very conscious of at the moment. Uh, the Leaving Cert results will be out soon. Accommodation fraud. Yes, this is something that always raises its head around this time of year. I suppose people are excited getting their um, Leaving Cert results looking for accommodation. So we'd ask for people to be, I suppose, vigilant um, when trying to put down deposits. Make sure they go see the house and the room. Make sure they talk to the landlord or if it's through a letting agency that it is a legitimate leg- um, letting agency. But don't deal in cash because it could be your word against theirs whether you've paid or not. And I suppose if they ask you to, to wire money through them through either different sort of cryptocurrencies or anything like that, just be, I suppose, extra vigilant, maybe be a bit suspicious and make sure that you know the house, you know the landlord and you know where you're going, sending your son or your daughter to college, yeah. where, where they're supposed to be going. And the universities are very good with, you know, they have accommodation officers. I'm always saying to people, you know, link in with the universities because they'll know what's available, what's not available. Yes, and they would probably have, um, I suppose, different accommodation sites that would be suitable for students and they might have a list of registered um, landlords as well that that might be feasible for different yeah. people going to college. But it is going to be a struggle with the housing crisis. Uh, absolutely, sure. absolutely. All right, burglaries in the southern region. Yes, unfortunately, there's been a number of burglaries in the southern region in neighbouring counties. So we'd ask people to be vigilant if they see people hanging around um, shops and garages, especially maybe around closing time. They might be watching how many people are closing up um, or if an alarm goes off to see how fast people respond to the alarms. So just if you see anything suspicious, just report it to your local guard station. Try and take a registration number of the car if possible or just make or the model of the car. Um, I suppose we'd ask that premises would make sure their CCTV is up to date and is recording and that the camera lens is clean. 
so that we could get a good picture of whoever might be around the area. Yeah, and if you've got your phone with you and you see something suspicious, just take a quick photograph of the car with the registration number, ideally. Maybe something like that, yeah, yeah and pass yeah. it on to a local station. And it's we can we can check it out from there. Now, you want to give advice, um, and this ties in with tools that were taken in uh, Dunamore at the start of the year. Yes, uh, a large amount of tools was taken earlier on in the year. And I suppose just in relation to retrieving these items, we'd ask that people would mark their property. It would be um, helpful for us when circulating this um, information if we could get pictures of your most valuable items, maybe keep a record of them and the serial numbers. You might just keep it in a little book or maybe a little um, file within your computer. Um, Again, something with like a quad, if you have the scale of the item, have a person standing beside it or if it's an iPad or something, just put a, a ruler beside it as well so you'd have the scale of it. Um, we'd ask maybe people would stencil their air code or initials onto the property, which also is a, a great idea. And it may be in an area that's concealed. So if it was something like machinery or a quad bike or something, that mud even might get up around it. Mm. And only you would know where this air code or the initials are, which is great for um, identifying. That's a gardening. really good idea, yeah. And keep it well hidden. Keep it well hidden. And I suppose when, if you do report the, that you were a victim of the crime with the theft, all the information that we get, the more detailed, the better. So if something does turn up, we'd be able to identify it as yours. Um, and I suppose what we're seeing is that items would be sold maybe at fairs or car boot sales or sometimes door to door. So if it seems too cheap or too good to be true, it could be the result of a burglary. But just let the local guard station know if it's someone travelling door to door, we could try and stop the vehicle, stop the persons selling these items and maybe try and retrieve some Yeah, items. and and ultimately you then, when you do retrieve items, you want to get them back to the owner, but you, that can be difficult if there's an, if there's if if somebody can't identify. Yes, if yeah. we only have very general information, it's hard to, I suppose, return the item. So if you have a serial number or just a picture of it or the receipt, you know, where you bought it, some places, um, some shops would keep a, um, a record of the receipt and serial number. So if you're able to um, remember where you purchased it, it might be a great help to us in retrieving your items. Now, a reminder to people that from next week, the, 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 the McCroom Bypass is going to be a closure notice on it. Yes, just from the 8th to the 11th of August, the traffic will be returning to the town. So we just ask people to be patient Um that it will be busier, I suppose, with the pedestrian crossing, crossing the roads, there'll be more trucks. I suppose we're after getting used to um, trucks just being on the bypass now, not seeing as much um, heavy traffic in the town. So we just ask for um, members of the public to be aware of this and just, I suppose, be patient and allow for extra time if they're travelling through the town, going on to different destinations. It would be great. OK, that's tu- the 8th is next Tuesday, isn't it? So yes, tu- Tuesday, Tuesday to fr- I think the 11th is Friday. Friday, OK. Yeah. Now, uh, farm safety, it's, and we were only talking about cousins and the role the cousins uh, play in our lives. And we mentioned the point that during the summer months, many people go... To, to visit, you know, aunts, uncles or grandparents and will visit on the farms. You've got to be very careful, particularly the non-farming children who are going on to these farms. Yes, Patricia, this is something we just wanted to talk briefly about today, um, just farm safety and children visiting their cousins and grandparents. Um, farm safety is so important, but unfortunately it is the most dangerous with an awful lot of accidents occurring in the, within the farms. Um, normally it's children or over 65 are the most at risk. Um, I suppose children that aren't used to farming backgrounds, 
um, things like heavy machinery, slurry tanks and animals. Just be very vigilant with the small children approaching an animal in case a cow would kick out or they might bite them or anything like that. So it only takes a minute for something to happen, but it could unfortunately change your life forever. So we would ask maybe that some signs would be up around the farm, which could be sort of playful as well for the children to keep an eye on the signs to, to remind them of the dangers. Um, have areas fenced off, which, as I said, would be slurry tanks or ponds, and ensure the animals are secured and safely locked away. So the children wouldn't be going up rubbing the animal or going into an area that could be dangerous, depending on the animal. And the whole idea is just to keep um, keep everybody uh, safe. And you suggest always carrying a mobile phone? Yes, I suppose for farmers especially, maybe if they're going up to the, as we say, the far off field, keep your mobile phone on you, just in case something would happen, you might have a medical episode and have your air code in your phone as well. This is always so important when members of Guard Shikona or members from the National Ambulance Service would be going to your house or the fire brigade. If you have your air code, it really speeds up the process of us getting to help you. So something like that is very, very important. And then obviously for farmers to have their farmyards as well lit as possible and because there is a lot of valuable equipment on farms, CCTV cameras a good move. Yes, we would, all, we would always ask for farmers that they would have maybe sensor lights that they would know if someone's after coming onto their property. And if you have an alarm, use it, I suppose, and make sure that it is working and that the picture is of good quality and that there are signs up around your property to let people know that there is CCTV. This is always a very good deterrent and that the, the premise is alarmed. It's always a very good deterrent for people driving by. Uh, farms and farmers would tend to live in more isolated areas um, and would be more vigilant with strange cars around the area and are always very good to ring in the Garda station and we can put it out then in the community text alert system which is a great benefit to everyone in the community and a great service. So if you do see anything, let us know and we can pass on the information. Okay, and make sure if there is text alert in your local area to sign up for it. Just on the keeping the children uh, safe on the farms, uh, Emer. You've got a stat there, over 2,500 serious accidents take place on farms every year. That's a staggering figure. It's, it's, it's absolutely unbelievable and it's so, it's so unfortunate, I suppose. Uh, farms are supposed to be, I suppose, enjoyable. They're, they're great for families, um, but unfortunately, sometimes with weather conditions, people become complacent that these accidents can happen. And unfortunately, as I said, it only takes a minute for something to happen that could change your life forever. And at the end of the day, a farmyard is a place of work uh, as well. And, you know, I was kind of shocked when I saw the figure of a serious accident because we have a tendency in the media where there'll be a lot of news and it'll be highlighted when somebody sadly dies because of an accident. But we don't get to hear about the people who could be left with life-altering injuries because of an accident. That is it, life-changing injuries, and especially for farmers and people working on farms, it is such a physical job that something like that, as I said, could be their livelihood gone as well. So just for extra signs around and for farmers to be more aware as well, which would be a great help okay. for themselves as well. Listen, thank you for that, uh, Emer. Have a good uh, week and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is uh, Sergeant Emer O'Connell who uh, works out of McCroom Agartha Station for this week's Agartha File. And obviously we are heading into a bank holiday weekend, even though it's a bit of a washout uh, weather-wise. But please uh, be 
careful on the roads because there will be extra traffic on the roads and we want to keep everybody as safe as possible. Lord of the Dance, it's kicking off next Wednesday, the 9th of August and they'll have a five night run and it's the Lord of the Dance, the 25th anniversary. It's hard to believe that the show has been going at 25 years. If you've seen it before, well worth seeing it again because the 25th anniversary uh, tour, fans are promised a new staging, new costumes, new choreography, plus they're using cutting edge technology that wouldn't have been available to them 25 years ago and there's also special effects and what's been described as remarkable lighting. If you're a fan of Riverdance, Lord of the Dance, this is a must for you. So we have another pair of tickets to give away today. Again, it's by text or WhatsApp, fairest way everyone gets a chance then of going into the draw. So 0862103103 and today's question, where did Lord of the Dance premiere? Was it A, in what was then called the Point Depot in Dublin or B did it have its premiere here in Cork at the Opera House so we need you to text either A or B where did Lord of the Dance premiere 25 years ago back in 1996 was it A the Point Depot in Dublin or was it B the Cork Opera House so you text A or B allow me your name and address now please to 0862103103 and then we'll randomly select one of our correct answers who will win a pair of tickets to go along and see Lord of the Dance at the Opera House next uh, week and then also could have their prize updated tomorrow. We're upgrading one of the prizes uh, so somebody tomorrow from our five daily winners will win a hotel stay dinner along with their pair of uh, tickets. So get texting or WhatsApping. Where did Lord of the Dance premiere? Was it the Point Theatre in Dublin? Uh, a or B? The Cork Opera House. Uh, get uh, moving on that please. Uh, in the meantime 0818103103. John Paul is taking calls particularly looking for any pet questions that you might have for Jane. Hold off texting or WhatsApping them because they could get lost in the midst of all of the competition entries and I would like uh, if you've got a question I'd like it answered by Jane for you so you can call John Paul or else hold off and I'll let you know when you can text our WhatsApp so pet questions please and just staying on pet stories gorgeous gorgeous story coming out yet again from our wonderful photo wildlife park in Cork three critically endangered red panda cubs have been born. The three cubs, one is male and two are females. Now they were actually born on the 9th of June but they're only announcing it now. The mum is Laxmi and the father is Griga. They're both five-year-old red panda uh, cubs. The cubs have spent the first few weeks of their life in the nesting box at Vota. They've been sleeping, feeding and being nursed by their wonderful mother. Now it seems in the next two to three weeks the cubs will start to venture outside of the nesting boxes. They'll do it for brief periods early in the morning uh, or either in the late uh, evening. They're closely related to raccoons. I'm looking at photographs of them. They're just adorable. You'd want to pick them up and cuddle them, which of course you can't do, but you just, you'd just love to do it. So they're closely related to raccoons and the red panda is, as I mentioned, critically endangered. It's thought, would you believe, that there is as many as, there is as few as two and a half thousand mature individuals remaining in the wild. Isn't that really, really sad? And recent estimates have suggested that there's been a 50% decrease in the red panda numbers over the last 20 years alone. And of course, 
Photo Wildlife uh, Park, who we often speak with on the programme. They participate in an international breeding programme for many species that are endangered or threatened in the wild. And they're home at the moment, photo home at the moment, to seven pandas. And they all live in the specially designed habitat in the Asian Sanctuary. If you are a regular to Photo Wildlife Park, you'll know the Asian Sanctuary and you've probably seen some of the adult red pandas. And the red panda diet, by the way, is mainly made up of bamboo and Fota feeds the pandas with bamboo they grow within the park. So it's all sustainable as well. They are delightful. So it'll be another few weeks uh, if you're heading up to Fota. You might just be able to get a glimpse of these absolutely adorable red panda uh, cubs and uh, we wish them well and indeed everybody at Fota. They, they do incredible work. Now I mentioned at the close of the Garda file just saying to people, you know, we are heading into a bank holiday weekend. Please, please be careful on the roads. We're seeing two too many people die on our roads in this country and unfortunately year on year the numbers for this year are, are going up and we know we've had dreadful tragedies uh, this week. Well, that's prompted a listener to contact us to contact us to say, morning Patricia, I'm on the road uh, quite a big bit with work lately and I still continued to be shocked every day by people's carry on on the roads. People are now out walking three or four abreast on country roads and they don't move in when they are being overtaken. In fact, I've noticed cyclists are doing the exact same thing on main roads. When a car comes up to overtake, they don't pull in. The other day, for example, I came across four women and because it was coming into a corner, I had to wait behind them until I could see ahead before any one of them had the cop on or the manners to simply move into a single file. Also, the amount of drivers who just pull out in front of an oncoming car is just staggering of late. People have just gone completely heedless and sadly they're lacking any shred of cop on or indeed any manners. I really don't know what to say to people anymore. Nobody seems to care. So can you just take it nice and easy, whether you're driving, have manners and respect for other people. But even if you're using the roads for walking now, I know the weather hasn't been great, but I mean, we've a nice we've got some dry spells today and people like to get out and about. And there's nothing wrong with walking on rural roads, but you do need to be very conscious and very aware of other traffic that's on the road and get into single file, folks, particularly if you hear a car are coming up uh, behind you and for cyclists pull in. Have others noticed that, that of late, it, according to this texter, it seems to be getting worse. People seem to be just completely heedless and they're lacking any shred of cop on and safety. You can get yourself killed. And there is a thing called common manners uh, as uh, as well. We all need to share the roads and the footpaths. If anybody wants to add into that, I'd love to hear from you. 0818103103. Also coming into us uh, this morning, let me go to some of your texts and calls uh, coming in. Oh, we spoke about scams when we were speaking with um, Sergeant Deemer who joined us from McCroom on the Garda file and she was going through various scams that are doing the rounds at the moment. Mary was on to say, Patricia, I just got a call from Revolut. Definitely a scam. How do I know? I don't have an account with Revolut. And so I just hung up and I blocked the numbers for just to warn people. They're calling uh, people. Keep up the good work. And thank you. We always, anytime you get those scams, let us know about it because we just keep telling people and reminding people. And the thing with Revolut is Revolut have so many customers in this country people might get sucked in into believing that some, there's some dodgy activity on the Revolut account. So please be very, very careful of that. On, oh, no, this is an interesting 
texts that's come in. This doesn't want me to use her name, which is fine. And this is to do with teachers. And we also tied in nurses and doctors with the argument that some people feel that if we are providing third level education to young people, which we do and we do very well. Now, I know it isn't completely free and there's costs involved uh, with it, but predominantly uh, they are they don't pay for to go to university like they used to once upon a time. Um, so listeners are making the point that if they it's taxpayers money funding all of these universities and therefore do the students not have some kind of obligation that when they finish in college, they should be giving something back to the state and they should be forced to work for some are saying five years, others are saying three years. And then after that time, if they want to go off into other countries and bring their skills with them, fine. But they should initially be working. And that way we would every year know that we're going to have so many nurses, doctors and teachers coming out of the various teacher training colleges or out of the various medical schools. And we'd know that we'd always have a flow of teachers, nurses and doctors to replace the ones who either might retire or the ones who might decide to go to Australia or New Zealand or Canada or Dubai and gain some experience uh, over there. Um, But... It, and the whole idea of it is is to stop this people qualifying getting their certificate and they're going straight on the plane and then other countries benefit because of the wonderful education that we have provided at third level in this country well here's one that I did not know about listening with interest to your discussion on the scarcity of teachers both at primary and secondary le- level I would like to state that there was a time where you were required to pay back for your teacher training at primary school. If your parents couldn't afford to pay, you signed a contract to work in this country for five years and a certain amount was deducted from your salary every month. I entered, for example, MITC in September of 1962 under those conditions. My brother went to St. Patrick's Training College in Drumcondra Two years later, in 1964, he did likewise. So it's not a new concept. Well, I was not aware of that, but I'm assuming, again, it was at a time where people paid to go to university in the 60s, whereas now it's uh, everyone is free and others registration fees and, and all of that. So that was probably one of the reasons if your family could afford to pay, they paid. And if not, that was a way of training teachers and then they paid it back. So it isn't, it certainly isn't a new concept. It's just that children, young people, not children, young people today going on to third level don't pay for their college courses but thank you I was unaware of uh, that but it was a great way of getting families who couldn't afford to pay back in the day when you had to pay university fees wasn't it a great way to get people into the teacher training colleges and get them qualified 0818103103 and then we had a listener who uh, suggested who was giving out about young people leaving and saying that one of the reasons that they're going to uh, other countries is because they can't afford uh, a house and if they get a job, they can't afford a house. And I know this is a huge issue in Dublin, for example. You know, people can't, they might get a job in Dublin, but then when they realise what their wages are, they can't afford to add the rent. Uh, And somebody said, why, how come when they're in college, they were able to live at home? Why can't they get... Why can't they still remain at home? Why does it only become a problem when they're heading out into the big bad world of work? Somebody's pointed out it's rare that you can get a job near your parents and somebody else says, Patricia, a lot of young people who do qualify from college and who do qualify as teachers, nurses and doctors are still living at home uh, with their parents. But somebody's making the point, it's rare that you can actually find that job that will allow you to remain at home at the same time. 0818103103. You can stop texting us on our competition, which will give John Paul some time to select our winner for today. And that will clear the text and WhatsApp, uh, WhatsApp line 
for questions for Jane. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Corp and Sherry Development Association, their driving bingo is taking place at tonight, half past seven in the Barry Road GAA grounds. Gates open at seven. Bingo books are five euro for children, 10 euro for adults and 15 for a double look. Kinsale Triathlon Group 5 Mile Road Race is taking place tomorrow. Now places are limited so you need to sign up through the Kinsale Regatta 5 Mile Facebook and Instagram pages. Social dancing is on in the Marion Hall in Ballinhasic tomorrow night, 9 to 12 midnight, with music by Dermot Lyons. Castletown Bear Festival of the Sea opens tomorrow and it's been launched by up-and-coming country music singer Effie O'Neill fun and games for all and all the family for the week-long festival and you can see local media for a full list of uh, events. And Kiskame GAA Club are having a family fun day next Sunday, half one to six. It's at the GAA pitch in Kiskame. Sprints, novelty races, face painting, ice cream van and music between four and six with um, Anthony Dine. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now, John by WhatsApp says, I agree 100% with that listener who contacted you about bad manners on our roads uh, today. Where has common decency gone? You should also see the speed of young and older drivers on the roads around where I live in McCroom. That is from uh, John. Eddie joins me. Good afternoon, Eddie. Good afternoon, Patricia. You're, you're also agreeing with this listener and uh, says there's an arrogance on the roads today. Well, oh, increasing by the day as regards cyclists and even walkers. You approach him there and they're in deep conversation. It doesn't take two, 10, 20 seconds to step aside while the car is passing, but no. Yes, there may be two and three abreast forcing the car out across the road to pass him. And you know, our roads aren't very straight in this country mm. where, where, people, where people are walking and you run into the risk of a car coming around the corner in. And is the, only thing, the only thing the driver can do is stop stop his car and they'll, they'll have to walk they'll have to walk single file to pass the car in. Well, that's what the listener said happened uh, only the other day. Four women uh, chatting away as they were walking. As he was coming up to a corner, he had to wait behind them because he couldn't see around the corner. And it was only then they realised, oh God, there's a car behind us. And then they moved in on single file. But I'm wondering, rather than than, uh, arrogance and bad manners, is it just people get distracted and don't even realise that there's a car behind them? Could that just be it? But maybe, but well, sure, if they were doing or being the rules of the road, they should be walking towards. They cannot walk in front of the car. A person is supposed to walk towards the oncoming traffic. You should face oncoming. Yeah, so they should have been on yeah. the other side. Actually, they that's a good point. Yeah. They, 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 were, they were wrong there as well. But even cyclists, and look, are not being sexist. Women on bikes, some of them are, are worse than any men now with their arrogance. Are they? They're not. And oh, this, oh, 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 yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay, you'll get this but, argument we need to share the road with the cyclists. I'm not probably sharing the road with the cyclists, but it's gone, it's gone the other way. I'm sorry, it's gone the other way. They think they own the road a lot of them. So cyclists... I give an extra to road okay. from a certain town to a certain village about 10 kilometers, about six or seven miles, one evening a couple of years ago. Left the, left the town after a funeral. 
they weren't the car passed them out. They rushed speeding the best way set. The road was kind of twisty. There was about 20 cars behind them when they arrived into the village. That's, that's so that's, frustrating. And today, because that's true, yeah. and there was only one, one, one example how many more times when you wouldn't be on road to as well. Like. They knew the car, they knew the car, but I saw them looking back. I was about to turn the car back mm. in the queue of cars. They knew the cars were and, behind them. And, and they made no effort for several to, to slow down and, and then you had to let the cars pass. That's frustrating. And, and what happens in Parisha, when you get beyond them then, you're going to down the boot to make up for lost time. Mm. And that's when we could have accidents. Exactly, and it's causing frustration. I'm not saying you should do it, but it's human, human nature, but what, what it is. Did anyone roll down the window and have words with the two? But if you roll down the window now, they take your number. Most of them have cameras on their, on their helmets, and next thing the guards are that you, that you are that you are abusive to cyclists. Oh, no, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, we have to learn to all use the roadways uh, together. But I think you're right about some of the very rural country roads. People really need to cop on. But you look, it's just my point. I agree to the person they're ringing there. You know, they, they, look, I'm not probably people who want to go cycling, but I have some bit of concern. They're out in joining themselves. The people in cars could be going, going to walk or back. Mm. If part of the day is walk. I right. have, some bit of con- have some bit of consideration. That's what we're asking. Okay. Bit, bit of common right, decency. Sure. Thanks, Eddie. Thanks, uh, yeah, thanks for your bye. call. Uh, bye-bye. 0818 uh, 103 103. Our winner for the Lord of the Dance uh, tickets today and, of course, the Lord of the Dance premiered at the Point Theatre in uh, Dublin. And our winner is Eileen Jennings in Union Hall. Congratulations to you, Eileen. You have a pair of tickets to go along to the Opera House to see Lord of the Dance 25th anniversary and also in with the chance, Eileen, of having your prize tomorrow upgraded. You could also be planning a hotel stay with dinner along with your tickets. So one more pair of tickets to give away tomorrow. 0818 103 103. That frees up the text and the WhatsApps if you have a, a text or, or question to get in for Jane you can get it in now uh, 0862103103 just also coming in to us when we're talking about roads John from Lep was on to say that there's a particular crossroads near where John lives in uh, Lep and it's a crossroads that takes him on to either Skibbereen or Drina he says the hedgerows at this crossroads now are so overgrown that he nearly has to drive out into the centre of the road to see if there is anything coming. He said it really is becoming uh, dangerous and he's saying why are they uh, Why are they looking after the birds and the bees ahead of people's lives? That sounds like a road safety uh, issue if it's as bad as you're describing, John, and I'm not disputing that it isn't as bad as you are describing. If you get onto the local council, if you get onto the local landowner, while you can't cut hedgerows at the moment because of the nesting uh, season, unless it's a road safety issue. If it can be proven that it's a road safety issue and that could lead to an accident and what you're describing certainly is very, very dangerous indeed. So I would be getting on to your local councillor or if you could get on to the land owner and tell them just to trim back the hedgerows just so that it can make it uh, easier for people to see as they're driving out onto uh, the road. Hours to Protect will be on tomorrow here on C103. This is our environmental slot that we run every Friday at about 11.45 and 
this week on Ours to Protect, we will be discussing sustainability and eco-tourism and how it's possible to look after the earth while still visiting the places you love and supporting local communities. That's part of our Ours to Protect uh, series tomorrow, 0818 uh, 103 103. I mentioned uh, cost of uh, living um, with uh, Dara Cassidy on the uh, programme yesterday and how everything is going up at the moment and we're all doing our best to try to you know, limit what we're, we're spending and trying to limit our use of electricity and uh, gas. Uh, I'm reading in the papers today that the cost of home heating oil has uh, shot up over the last uh, few uh, weeks and of course this is coming at just the right time because most people will be thinking about their winter fill and will be you know, thinking about getting on to their oil supplier to fill up their uh, tank. It seems now it costs around €1,036 so just over €1,000 and that's for 1,000 litre fill. The average price two weeks ago was €900 so it has gone up by €136. The cost of a full tank of heating oil has gone up by more than €50 just in the past week. And this is according to the nationwide survey price comparison site oilprices.ie. They're a great website if you want to check how much the different oil prices are in your area, you know, if you're going to be shopping around for for your oil. But €50 of an increase just in the last week and it's one of the fastest increases that we've actually seen this year. And remember, about one and a half million Irish households uh, and I'm I'm one of them, use kerosene to heat our homes and of course most of the people who heat their homes with kerosene are people who live in rural uh, areas. So Eamon Mulvihill of oilprices.ie They've uh, they've come out and are talking about this. They're saying prices of a full tank of kerosene has fluctuated widely over the past uh, two years. I mean, go back, for example, to July of last year. That's when possibly they peaked at their their highest. This time last year, a fill uh, for an oil tank was €1,340, so just under €1,400. And if you go back a year before that to 2021, you could fill a tank for €638. So it was a massive increase. I remember this time last year we were talking about that is a doubling of where it was uh, the year before. Now, a Mulville of oilprices.ie says he can see no obvious reason why the prices have risen so much. He's he said all he can think of and all he's putting it down to is just normal supply and demand. And he said the trend at the moment is for prices to keep rising. But he does, on the price comparison website, he, he does say it is worthwhile to shop around and they were giving some examples of the different prices around the country. It depends really, I suppose, on where you uh, live. Now, the head of the representative body for the home heating oil distributors, they've denied that home heating oil distributors are profiteering in any way. A guy called Nicholas Hayes is uh, speaking on behalf of the the of the of the. Of the UK and Ireland Fuel Distributors Association, they say that the distributors get a price for the supply of home heating oil on a daily basis from the importers. And he says that the oil distributors, they, they can't, they have no control over the price of, of the oil. They have to wait and see. They get it in every day or they put their orders in. And he says virtually every day they have been seeing a small price increase over the last probably three to four weeks and it's been going up and up and up. But it seems incredible that in one week alone it could go up 50 uh, euro. So and you know the crunch is really going to come for families 
as we get out of August and get into September and October because September and October they're the busiest months for householders and that's when most people look to fill up their tank for the for the months ahead now we will remember last December oil prices spiked last December we had a very cold snap there was an Arctic cold spell and there was a bit of panic buying went on by householders remember at one stage the oil distributors were restricting supplies they were only giving 500 litres to most people because they wanted to make sure that they had enough oil for everyone so the prices did actually shoot up but that was to do with supply and uh, demand and of course there is another hike in the carbon tax in home heating oil that's going to be announced in the October uh, budget and they're reckoning that the carbon tax increase that will add about 19 euro onto a 900 litre oil tank uh, fill but it is expected that the carbon tax increase on home heating oil, that will be spared until May because that always happens. They'll announce the carbon tax in October, but then for the home heating oil to allow people to get over the winter, they leave it until May, but it will go it will go on in May. So I suppose if you are one of those people who normally buy in September and October and you can afford to get your fill at the moment, probably now is the best time to buy because it seems to be creeping up every single day. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. And as pet questions we are looking for, please, uh, because Jane Pickett, our resident vet, will be joining us after the break. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And we are off to the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, where Jane Pickett uh, joins me. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And we'll get straight into questions. And this is one that came in last week. And in fairness, the listener sent it back in again this week because we didn't get to it last week. My apologies. But it says, our dog's breath smells really badly. We think it's because of plaque on his teeth. He won't let us anywhere near to clean or wash his teeth. So is there any medication we could give him to control the bad breath? Okay, so this is all too common a problem I say first and foremost really well done for noticing and I think you're bang on there with the probable underlying cause of the smell so it is most likely plaque and dental disease so plaque forms essentially when the normal bacteria in our mouths every day that I suppose are the normal flora that live there help us with digestion mixes with our saliva and becomes slightly calcified so it sticks onto the teeth and essentially what it does is it provides a beautiful warm moist home for bacteria that would normally be part of the the dental flora to settle into the gums and cause gum disease and that can cause untold damage below the gum line so teeth are very much like an iceberg we're only seeing a very small amount of it at the top and a lot of the roots below are the real strength of the tooth they can be really damaged by plaque and the resulting bacterial infections that happen inside them so if you're smelling from the mouth at the moment it's most likely that they have lots of plaque probably a bit of a bacterial overgrowth in their mouth as well and more than likely some secondary dental disease if it's bad enough that you can smell now i think it's a good thing to try and have a little look at home yourself but please anybody who's listening try to do that safely particularly when we have pets where their mouths are smelly they might also be sore if they have dental disease and they might just not react in a predictable manner so just be really careful if you're trying to have a look that you don't get bitten i think this one really needs professional help so i wouldn't really recommend for a pet that already has overtly smelly breath I wouldn't really recommend home treatment as something I would expect to solve the problem you're going to need a professional's opinion on this so you need to take him to your vet for a checkup 
what I most likely do is try and examine the teeth conscious as best we can. Um, in some cases, in very painful pets, sedation might be required to do that. But, you know, first port of call is an appointment with your vet to assess things. And they'll be able to assess the situation, make sure it is indeed a uh, plaque that's causing the problem and not something that's stuck in the mouth. I, I know only last week I saw I saw a little dog who loved chasing and biting sticks and had a stick stuck on the roof of his mouth. So these things can, uh, can rot and smell as well. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Big ouch. Um, but what I would say most of these dogs will need a dental scale and polish. So to remove all of the plaque, to bring the teeth right back to kind of level ground zero and uh, make them make them nice and clean again. But then they will require ongoing treatment, ongoing management. And that can be a variety of things and it depends on what suits your situation. I suppose the gold standard is toothbrushing um, and your vet or vet nurse will be able to guide you on how best to introduce that. But in some pets, look, it's just not possible if they're very mouth shy. It's not not a possible thing. But there are lots of other veterinary approved, um, I suppose, um, I suppose rinses that can be put into water. that are safe for them to drink that can help to deal with the bacterial load. But also other things like gels, dental diets specifically for that problem. So there are other solutions. So don't be shy about chatting to your vet about it. But I really do think that this pet, if they have a bit of bad smell from the mouth, they need a veterinary appointment to assess if they need dental work doing and you know a lot of the patients that will have dental disease they might fall into the slightly older category you know they might be in their twilight years but as vets we're very used to seeing that so although some pets might have problems that might mean that anesthetic might be a little bit more risky in them if you discuss everything fully with your with your vet and take their guidance as to what needs to be done in advance of general anesthesia in an older pet then usually we can help to minimize the risk and get that dental work done that can make make them feel comfortable yeah you don't want you don't want to be in pain because we all know what it's like to have a toothache okay great excitement in jennifer's house because their boxer dog has just had a litter of eight pups with their male boxer they're one day old she's feeding all day and she won't come out unless we make her come out for a break. Should we be supplementing her with maybe calcium or just keep giving her the Engage Mother and Puppy Nuts that we're currently feeding her on? Mm, I think if she's doing well, if, if this is day one and her first day of being a mum I would really just leave her to it if she doesn't want to come away from the pups and she's very protective of them. I wouldn't be trying to really force her away from them and I certainly wouldn't be trying to kind of touch or check the pups unless you're concerned that there is an issue. Really leaving her to it to do her job as a mum is is the best way to deal with it. As regards nutrition for them, um, as long as they're on a good, high calorie, good quality, complete food um so a mother and puppy one or a puppy one is is usually ideal they will need to be on that until they finish whelping um i would just keep an eye that the pups from a distance all seem to be feeding well and they're all wiggling and jiggling about as you would expect if you notice that there's one or two that are weaker than the rest or they're not feeding normally then those puppies might need supplement but you know might need direct supplementation of milk so to be give, given supplementary milk feeds by you now that's not something I would jump into lightly and it's not something I would jump into without having a chat with your vet about the situation now that, that's not to say that you know you're I, that's not to say I'm suggesting bringing the whole litter and the boxer mum into the vet for a checkup I'm absolutely not and um, that would be an absolute last resort but if you do need advice on a specific situation or a specific pup if you're concerned then to ring your vet discuss the situation with them and they'll be best able to guide you and in some cases in large litters like where we have eight or nine pups sometimes um, puppies will need to be I suppose bottle fed in addition to what they're getting from their mom if their mom is struggling for the few weaker pups but I think it sounds like you're on the right track watch things carefully but try and do so from a distance you just don't want to disturb the natural bonding process. Is that a very large litter for a boxer? 
it's reasonable enough yeah it yeah. is it is on the larger side yeah i've seen, i've heard of larger but it's it's getting up there certainly okay. so she'll All have right. her work cut out okay good luck uh, good luck with that jane in mal uh, jane in mallow your namesake any idea why a cat would have a blood bubble on the side of the eyelid anything i can do for the cat it's an older cat uh, is overweight but is in good health this is Dexter. Okay, I'm, I'm I'm glad to hear that he's in good health. Generally, that's good news. Um. Okay, so what we're describing is a blood bubble. I'm assuming is quite like a pink pigmented bump that we're seeing on the eyelid. Now, sometimes they can be after, let's say, a small incident where we've popped the eye and it's a little bit of a bleed and it forms a little blood bubble, a little hematoma. But a lot more commonly, they can be lumps or bumps that may have grown sometimes quite quickly, sometimes slowly over time, and they can have that pinkish reddish appearance. Okay, so I wouldn't just write it off straight away as just a blood bubble and nothing to worry about. I would say that this one just needs a, a little bit of consideration. Um, there are a number of things that can happen on the eyelid. So sometimes it could be as simple as an ingrown eyelash or um, a little blocked sweat gland along the eyelid eyelid margin. Or sometimes it can, I suppose, in particularly in older patients, it can be something a little bit more sinister. So sometimes it can be a lump or a bump that's grown. And sometimes they're benign, harmless, um, but sometimes they can be a little bit more sinister. It is important to consider, though, because it is on the eyelid margin, it might begin to become in contact with the eye and that can cause secondary problems. You can imagine the feeling of of having something moving against your against your eye all of the time. It's kind of like having a bit of dust stuck in your eye the whole time. So that can sometimes be uncomfortable for a pet if the lump or bump or blood bubble is in contact with the eye. So that may cause secondary problems. I would advise in this situation that this little pet needs a check with the vet. As they're getting a little bit older anyway, I'd normally recommend for our older pets, they have a, a checkup every six months with their vet just to make sure everything's ticking on okay um, and to get ahead of any problems so it sounds like this little one could have one of those checkups and just raise the eyelid eyelid issue with your vet they'll be able to have a little look now a lot of the time with lumps or bumps what i normally say is a lump or a bump is a lump or a bump under proven otherwise it's very difficult to tell just on plain sight what a lump or bump is Sometimes we need to do sampling to send to the lab, but your vet will be able to discuss that with you, discuss whether that's possible, discuss whether it's needed in that situation. It might be something that's very obvious um, when it's seen, but also to assess the eye underneath it, because as I say, these masses can come in contact with the eye and can cause secondary scratches or secondary irritation. So it's important that the, the whole picture is assessed, not just the little blood bubble on its own. So best of luck. I think catching things like that early may mean that, you know, you have lots of options available to you. Maybe nothing serious at all might just be a flash in the pan something that you don't need to worry about but it's best to get it checked out nonetheless okay and melissa has a neutered three-year-old jack russell constantly hungry always begging for food how can you check if she's overweight or not Ah, okay. Brilliant. I love to hear questions like this because it means we're really thinking ahead and thinking about, well, what can we do to keep our pet well rather than deal with a weight problem later? And look, you know, there's lots of pets that might be carrying a few extra pounds out there and there's no shame in that. I think the main thing is recognising it and dealing with it head on. Um, Weight is a helpful thing. So usually veterinary practices will have a scales in their waiting area that they're usually very happy if you're a registered client for you to pop in and check their weight. And it may be that they might have a record a record from previously of what your pet weighed and you'll be 
able to compare and that can be a really helpful thing but most clinics will run either weight clinics or nurse checks where your pet could have their body condition score assessed now a body condition score takes into account much more than just the weight and number on the scales it assesses your pet's muscle mass and their overall size and where they're carrying their weight and it just helps us to see well you know is this a good weight for this pet rather than just a, a number on a chart but a really handy way of doing it at home is to have a look at them from above you should notice that behind their ribs there's a nice little waist so they should have a little waist behind the ribs if you're noticing there's no waist at all it's possible they're carrying a little bit of weight and then the other thing that's really easy to do at home is have a look at their rib cage so just over the chest what I would say is the sweet spot for a healthy pet would be to have a situation where you can't see the ribs but you can feel the ribs really easily and what I mean by really easily is if you take your right hand and you feel across the fingers of your left hand very easily you can feel them just you know you can feel your fingers right underneath your other fingers you should be able to feel the ribs as you run across the rib cage with your fingers with very little pressure just like that sensation you shouldn't have to dig in or ruffle around to try and find the ribs underneath the skin because essentially that means there's a layer of fat in the way so there are two handy ways you can just roughly check at home but i would say have a chat with your vet or your local veterinary nurse a lot of the time they'll do free weight checks and be able to assess and help you out with that so it's well worth giving them a call I, 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 Jack Russell's prone to putting on weight. I've, I've spotted a lot of Jack Russells who you would know looking at them, they're very overweight, not even slightly. Mm, Are they prone they, to it? They can be. They can be, but I think a lot of it tends to be, uh, I suppose, environmental. They're very good at, you know, turning on those puppy dog eyes and begging for the snacks. And a lot of them are smaller, so they're in the house, you know, scuttling around with us all day. So the temptation to give them a, a snack or two from what we're eating is, you know, is really high. So I suppose the smaller breed dogs a lot of the time, um, sometimes they can become very overweight just purely because they're around with us all of the time. They're very good at turning on the charm for the snacks. But um, I suppose every pet has the capacity to gain a lot of weight usually unless you're something like a very lithe and lean greyhound they're not the best at holding onto their weight so there are some breed differences but generally it tends to be environmental generally we as pet owners tend to be the the thing that will have the biggest impact on their weight or lack thereof there are some other medical issues behind things that can cause weight loss or weight gain for example an underactive thyroid can cause weight changes um, or for example other diseases can cause weight loss like kidney disease diabetes so there are other medical factors but generally for the most dogs and cats in our population it's generally what we feed them that either keeps them healthy or, or causes causes them to become overweight so it's really good to, to kind of examine what they're getting uh, and I day. think there's a, there is a, there's a slight clue in the phrasing of the question as well the dog is always begging so obviously somebody ah, is, yes. is, is giving treats all the time. Absolutely. And I think that begging behaviour, you know, a lot of dogs engage in it. I have one of my own that does exactly the same thing, yeah. so I can't talk too much. Um, but they don't tend to beg unless they've repeatedly had snacks given to them from the table or had snacks given to them when it's not going into their food bowl at dinner time. So if you can really disengage from that behaviour of, you know, giving them food outside of their meal times, that'll really help. Eventually, they'll just, you know, get distracted and go off and play with something else. Okay. Um, but it is just it's, it's willpower on our part as well as theirs. Yeah, I'm afraid. That's what it is. Just, and it is know. hard, as you say, when the big puppy dog it eyes is. are looking up at it you. Is. Listen, have a great week and we'll chat to you next Thursday.
You too. Thank you. Thanks, Patricia. Jane. Bye bye. That is Jane Pickett of the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket. And that's part of the, Met- the Mill Street Veterinary Group. And that's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. And we'll be back with you for the final one of the week as we kick off a bank holiday weekend tomorrow from 10. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.